we will all be there if we haven't been, and that is in the position of the prodigal. Separated from God, wondering deep within us, will he love us, will he accept us? Through the years that I've been a pastor, I've had people say to me, I'm just too messed up for God to take me in and to love me and receive me. We've all felt that. Can I go to him? And this story that Jesus told in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, he portrays for us in this story the love of God the Father for us. That when we walk away from God, when we mess our lives all up, because we always mess them up when we walk away from Him, that He is waiting for us, looking for us, yearning for us, reaching out for us, waiting for us. And when we come to Him, we will be accepted. We will be received. We will be restored. Not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but simply because He loves us that much. And His love is not a love that's based on feeling. It is rather based on a rock-solid commitment that He has to us. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. Context of this story, Jesus has a crowd of folks around Him. The tax collectors, which were a wicked group of folks, took, used all their power as tax collectors to extract money out of people, not just for the government, but for themselves. And a group called the sinners, which were people who were notorious for all of the sin that they got into. And these folks, it says in chapter 15 and verse 1, had drawn near to hear Him. There was something about Jesus that caused people whose lives were all messed up and who had walked away from God and who thought it, that they didn't have any chance left and the people in the religious establishment of that day felt like they didn't have any chance left. There was something about Jesus that drew and attracted these people. that They, they couldn't figure it out. He was different. They wanted to be close to Him. They wanted to listen to what He had to say. There was a sense of acceptance there. And so they had gotten around Jesus. But then there was another group there. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were the religious establishment of that day. And they were there, but they were there for an entirely different reason. They were there to judge Jesus because he had all these sinners around him. And they were also there to catch him in a trap. And so they begin to throw their questions at him. And Jesus begins to tell some stories. He tells the story of the lost coin. And then in the story we're going to look at today is the story of the lost son. Luke's Gospel 15, beginning with verse 11. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now let me stop there for just a second. In that day and age it was considered very disrespectful and rebellious to walk up to your dad and to say to your dad, I want my share of the inheritance. It was customary in those days that you did not receive your share of the family inheritance until the dad passed away. And so to walk up to your dad and say, I want my share of the inheritance and I want it now, 
was essentially saying to your dad, you can drop dead as far as I'm concerned because all I care about is what you've got that's coming to me. Now, as I said to the kids earlier, an inheritance in those days would have been primarily land. So what he's asking for here is, I want my share of the land. Now, it's interesting that in the Jewish law of that day, if you were the oldest son, you got two-thirds of the inheritance. And if you were the youngest son, you only got one-third. So since this is the youngest son, he knows when he asks for this that he's only going to get one-third of the inheritance. But he's demanding it anyway. Verse 13, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So he would have taken what he got, sold it, and then used the money to basically party till he didn't have anything left. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Now, in the Jewish culture and tradition, feeding pigs and taking care of pigs would have been considered the ultimate degrading insult for a Jewish young man. That you would go and you would feed pigs and take care of pigs and walk around with pigs. They weren't even supposed to touch pig meat in any form, let alone take care of pigs. So this is extremely de degrading for him. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, and that is a key phrase here, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise. And go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. It's interesting that the son now is talking about heaven. In other words, he's acknowledging God. He hadn't done that when he demanded the property, but now he is acknowledging God twice. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And they begin to celebrate. Now, my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin, the back page. I invite you, if you would, to follow along with me. This youngest son walks up there, and he demands his inheritance. And the father, with a sad heart, realizes there's not a whole lot he can say and do to try to convince his son to think differently. And so he gives them that inheritance. And the boy 
a few days later gathers everything up and he walks away. He makes not only a bad decision, but he makes a hasty decision. And nine times out of ten, if we make bad decisions, they're usually also accompanied by hasty decisions. In other words, not only do we make a bad decision, but we decide that it's got to be implemented and implemented quickly. And so that's what he does. I'm taking my stuff and I'm getting out of here and I'm getting out of here in a hurry. Now he goes out of there with this idea that he's going to live it up with the money that he's got. And no doubt as he got out there, he had everything that he could ask for, including lots of friends. Because you're always going to have lots of friends when you've got lots of money and you're willing to spend it on them. Now, when you run out of money, that's when you find out who the real friends are who are going to stick with you and go the distance. And he found that out the hard way. It says, verse 13, that he took a journey into a far country. In other words, he tried to get as far away from his dad as he possibly could. He tried to get as far away from his upbringing as he possibly could. He tried to get as far away from the community that he had been raised in as he possibly could. Everything that was familiar, he tried to get a long distance away from. And when you and I take a journey away from the Lord, we will usually take a journey that takes us away from God, away from His people, away from any and everything that would make us feel connected to God. Because we don't want to be in His presence, and we don't want to sense Him, and it makes us feel so uncomfortable. And that's exactly what this young man did. He goes into that far country. And when he gets there, he sells everything that he's got so he can get the money and start living off of it. But notice what happens in verse 14. It says, There was a famine in that whole country. Not only had he sold everything he had, not only had he now wasted everything he had, but then there comes a famine. Now, the effect of a famine takes a period of time for it to take its effect. In other words, you know, when it stops raining, you don't just have nothing the next day. So this takes a period of time for this story to begin to unwind. He asks for the property, he gets it, he sells it, probably would have been a good chunk of money. So he is able to play this thing out for a while with the money. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. And when you and I walk away from the Lord, we're going to have a period of time when we think we're getting away with it, when things look like they're moving okay for us. Then the famine comes in. But again, that season of famine takes a while to play out. And so when we join the story here, the young man is at the place where the famine is really now beginning to take hold, and he's starting to get really hungry. There's nothing much to eat. So he goes and he says, I'm going to sell myself, hire myself out to a guy to take care of his pigs. Now, folks... The Lord, in His providence and His goodness and His love even, sometimes sends seasons of famine into our lives. When we find ourselves at a place in life, when we feel like, I'm losing everything. I have next to nothing. 
And there's a helplessness to that. This young man couldn't make it rain. He could not control what was going on around him. It's getting drier by the day. There's less and less food. Because there's less and less food and water, it's going to cost more and more to pay for it. Supply and demand. And he's got less in his pocket. He's got nothing in his pocket because he's spent it all, not anticipating something like this could happen. Now, I think what Jesus is trying to teach us here is from time to time in His love, which will not at times necessarily seem like His love, He will send a season of famine into our lives, but the purpose of the famine is not to starve us to death. The purpose of the famine is not to make us miserable. The purpose of the famine that He sends is to get our attention and turn us both back to where we should be in the first place and most of all to turn us to Him. As I pointed out earlier, when the boy comes back, he starts talking about, I've sinned against heaven and against you, Father. He recognizes that this is not just about him and a dad issue. It is about a him and God issue even more than it is an issue about him and his father. When the famine times come, the question we need to ask is not, first of all, God, would you take the famine away? But Lord, what are you trying to accomplish in this famine? What are you saying to me? What do I need to hear? Where do I need to go with you in this? Because, God, you are God as much in the famine as you are in the time of abundance. And you are speaking to my life as much in the time of famine as you are in the time of plenty. You see, so often we, we love to give testimonies about the blessing of God and the work of God and the outpouring of God when everything's going great in our lives and we feel like prayers are being answered and answered just like that and great things are happening. We talk about how God's blessing. But what happens when you enter that period of famine? Is God not blessing anymore? Does God not love us anymore? Is God absent? No. He's as much present and as much at work and accomplishing His work in our lives, but He's trying usually to shift us and turn us in life in a new direction, in a different direction, and it's a direction to Him and what He's doing. And so the famine comes. And this young man, verse 17, says, when he came to himself, when God works in our lives, we always come to ourselves. We wake up to what he's doing. And he begins to head home. Now, verse 20, the attention now focuses on the father. It says that when the father saw him while he was still a long way off, that dad came down in that road, apparently every day, looking for his son, waiting for his son, yearning for his son. And notice that Jesus says, when he saw him a long way off. I am so glad we serve a God who is what I like to call a long way off looking God. God loves to anticipate us coming. 
But God puts His eye on us and the Lord looks for us and yearns for us and loves us when we are a long way off. In fact, the way we get to Him is because He's been looking for us and after us a much longer time than we have been looking and waiting for Him. You see, when that young man was out there doing his thing, forgot about his family, that dad was looking and waiting. When that young man hired himself out to work in the pigs, that dad was looking and waiting. And so when he turned that day and started heading in the direction of home, the dad was already looking and waiting for him a long way off. Verse 20, he says, I'm going to go to, I love the way Jesus says, his father. Why did Jesus use that personal possessive pronoun in there? Looking for his father. And Jesus is trying to say that even though he walked away from his dad and turned his back on his dad, that the father still claimed him, still identified with him. He was his father. Even though the young man didn't feel like it was his father anymore, that he wasn't even worthy to be his father, it was his father that was looking for him and waiting for Him. God claims us and identifies with us even when we've turned our back on Him and walked away from Him. His Father. Then notice what the dad does, continuing in verse 20. It says that he ran to his son when he saw his son. Now in the Oriental tradition, it was considered humiliating to run like that. That dad didn't give a flip about what other people thought about him. He didn't care about his pride. He said, if I see my son coming, I'm going to run to him. And as that son saw that figure in the distance that began to move towards him, and as the figure got closer and closer, he recognized it was his dad, that son would have said, my dad is humiliating himself in trying to get to me. And what would have that son understood? He would have understood that pride did not get in the way of his dad getting to his son. How often is our relationship with the Lord blocked more by our pride than anything else? How often is our relationships with other people blocked by our pride more than anything else? He says, I'm going to, I'm going to, that dad says, I'm going to run to my son. And notice what he did. It says he threw his arms around his son. Love, acceptance. Kissed his son. The, the little Greek there is the idea of smothered him with kisses. Now, can you imagine how that son must have felt? Dad's running to me. Dad grabs me. Dad holds me. Dad hugs me. Dad kisses me. Dad is saying in every physical way possible, I love you. I accept you. I receive you. I take you back. You belong to me. Then notice what the dad does, verse 22. He says, I want you to find the best robe possible and bring it here, I'm going to put it on him. Now the best robe possible would have been one of the dad's robes. So the servants understood, we got to go to his closet, we got to find the best robe that he's got, and we got to put it on him. And in that day and age, the best robe spoke of honor. 
So he was saying here, I am covering my son in honor. I am placing on my son the very thing that my son removed from his life. Because you see, when the son said, I want the inheritance, and he turned around and walked away, he was basically walking into dishonor. And when the dad puts the robe on him, he is saying to the son, I am covering you in my honor. What is Jesus trying to say to us? Oh, I think what he's trying to say to us is this, I will cover you with my honor. I don't care how much you've blown it. I don't care how much you sinned. I don't care how much you walked away from me. Listen, if you will come to me, if you will receive my love, if you will accept my acceptance of you, if you will let me change your life, then I will robe you in my honor. Don't try to put your own honor on yourself. Allow me to cover you with my honor. Put the best robe on him. And then, verse 22, it says, He placed on him the ring. Now, the ring was called a signet ring. It usually had on it the insignia of the family. And it was used in those days to stamp and officiate documents. It spoke of power and identity. In other words, what the dad would do with that ring is he would take it, and when he had to verify a document or seal a document, he would place the insignia ring on the document, usually in hot wax as a way of sealing the document and putting his power on it. So what he's doing here with the son in here is he is reinstating him into the family. He is basically saying, you got the ring on your finger, it's got the family insignia on it, that means you have been reinstated into the family. Then it says he puts sandals on his feet. Now, what's the big deal about that? Well, one just so it would be barefoot. Servants in those days did not wear shoes. Sons wore shoes that the dad provided. So when he puts the sandals on the son's feet, he's saying to the son, I'm not going to treat you as a servant. I'm going to treat you as a son. Now, remember, the boy came back, and he says, I'm going to ask that the dad would receive me as a servant and not as a son because I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. And... The dad is saying here, son, you're going to wear shoes because I'm reinstating you into the family and the shoes are a way of me saying to you, you are a son, you are not just a servant. That is the power of the love of God, that I am reinstating you, that I am bringing you into my family and I am empowering you as part of my family. Now let me, for just a moment, say this. Some of you, maybe many of you that I'm speaking to today, have had a journey in your life where your own parents or perhaps dad has been absent from your life, either physically, emotionally, or both. And in addition to the basic truth of this story that God receives us and loves us and accepts us and takes us to Himself, I think an underlying truth of this story also is that the Lord is saying to you, you can know the love and the acceptance and the affirmation of your Heavenly Father that perhaps you never knew from an earthly father or parents. That if you will in prayer just imagine yourself in the presence of your heavenly Father and being embraced by Him, accepted by Him, 
loved by Him, received by Him, and Him saying to you, I'm putting the sandals on your feet because you're not a servant, you're my child. You belong to me. I'm putting the signet ring on your hand to empower you in my family so that when you pray, you know that you pray with the signet ring on. That when you prayed, you were talking to me and that I am listening and that I will respond and that I am at work. That I am covering you in the best robe that I have because you may feel like you have walked through life in dishonor, but I am saying to you that I am clothing you in my honor. Now he moves in verse 23 to the community. The dad looks around and he says, all right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a fatty calf and I want you to kill it and I want you to roast it and we're going to throw a party. Now what the dad is doing at this point is he's moving this, this acceptance of the son from an experience between him and the son to now I'm going to bring the whole community into this. In fact, a fatty calf in those days would have fed up to 200 people. So basically, he's inviting all the servants, everybody that works on the farm, and all the neighbors. I want you to come. I want the whole crowd to come and celebrate what's happening, and I want the whole neighborhood to be part of accepting this son back. Now, I don't have time to go into it today, but you know the second part of the story, the other son has all kinds of indigestion with that. He didn't... You know, he didn't want him around, and he's ticked off about it and the whole bit, and he really didn't want to show up for the acceptance party, etc. But Jesus, I think, is trying to tell us an important story here. Whom the Father accepts, we accept. And how the Father accepts, that's how we're supposed to accept. And so often, if we're not careful, God may be calling people and beckoning people to himself and accepting and receiving folks that don't necessarily always measure up to what we would expect and what we feel comfortable with. And God's working with people that we wouldn't necessarily anticipate He would be working with. And what is our job when God does that? It is to accept and to receive in the same way that God accepts and receives them. Is to say, if the Lord's working in them, if the Lord's working in this community, if God's drawing those people to Himself, we've been called to be a part of it, and we're going to accept them and receive them just the way the Lord is accepting and receiving them. And when we do that, what happened in this community was the whole community started celebrating. And when we are accepting and receiving people as God is accepting and receiving them, then God releases within His church the power of celebration, the joy of celebration. Now, I want you to see two things. Verse 21, And the son said to him, that is, to his dad, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, on the son's part, he got humble. I am no longer worthy. That's his statement of humility. So would you just accept me, God, Father, the way I am? And the way we turn around and come to the Lord is humility. What had changed in that boy was a place of pride to a place of humility. And God used the famine to get him there. And by the way, anything God uses in our lives to bring humility into our lives is not an enemy of our lives, it's a friend. It's not a curse, it's a blessing. And then notice verse 24, what the dad says at the celebration. 
For this my son was dead, and he's fully alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And they begin to celebrate. My son was dead, he's alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And they begin to celebrate. God wants to celebrate with us. God wants to celebrate over us. And I love what this dad says. He says, my son was dead, but he is alive again. He was lost, and now he is found. My son who was dead is alive again. The Lord has the power to make us alive again. The Lord has the power to take us from being lost to being found. Found by Him. That's the power of His love, and that's what He wants to do in our lives if we'll let Him. Let's pray. Lord, help us to run to You. And Lord, help us in those times in our lives of famine, to Jesus, just reach out to you and know your love and to know your acceptance. And Lord, help us to know what it is for you to celebrate over us. You are wanting us to join you in the celebration that you want to have over us and in us. And God, we ask that you would accomplish that. Thank you, Jesus, for this story. For Lord, it tells us so much about you and how you are waiting and yearning for us to come to you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if, if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I wandered away from the Lord. I've gone into that far country, so to speak, and I need to come back, and I need to come back to the Lord. I want to invite you in just a moment as we sing to come forward and to give your life to Jesus today. And to say, I want to know Him, I want to follow Him, and I want to walk with Him. If you are here today and you just need someone to pray with you, we invite you to come. You may say, I'm going through one of those seasons of famine right now. I don't quite understand it, but I, I just need to know the Lord's presence and love and direction in my life. If you sense that God's leading you to become part of our church family, then we invite you to come. Lord, have your way with us in these moments as... As God, we discern what you're doing in our lives. We ask for you to help us to discern that. And then, Lord, we respond to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and sing and come if you will.